Welcome to Straight Talk Wealth, heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. with your experts in all aspects of wealth accumulation, preservation, and income planning guaranteed to last a lifetime. And now, your host of Straight Talk Wealth, Bruce Whitey, on News Talk 1590 KVTA. Say hello to my little friend. Very sexy. Good morning, Ventura. Welcome to another episode of Straight Talk Wealth Radio. I'm your host, Bruce Whitey. You know, we are here every morning at 8 a.m. on KVTA 1590 News Talk. Hey, I have a great show today. Um, I'm featuring my interview this week with author and economist, New York Times bestselling author, Harry S. Dent. In the 1990s, in the year 1990, when the United States was having a deep uh, recession under George Bush I, uh, and uh, he said, read my lips, no new taxes, but he still had to raise taxes, and things were pretty bleak. Harry wrote a book called The Great Boom Years Ahead, and in that book, he said the 90s are going to be awesome. Uh, and he looked at a couple key indicators, which are demographics, when people are born, the age of populations, the spending habits of population, and has built quite a uh, ability to prognosticate on that. Now, what's interesting is he has since written that from 2008 forward, the wheels come off of the economy because of global declines in demographics. And that has a lot to do with the uh, lessening of spending, lessening of demand from the baby boom generation, which is the largest generation in this country. It is 80 million people uh, of the 300 million people in the country. So uh, we'll, you can learn a lot more about all of this by getting Harry's latest book, which is called The Demographic Cliff, How to Survive and Prosper During the Great Deflation of 2014 to 2019. And uh, yes, you are seeing some interesting deflation going on that Harry called ahead of time. And we're going to have a, the whole show is going to be dedicated to an interview with Harry today. Uh, we're going to talk about why gold is down. That's deflationary. Why oil is down. That's deflationary. Are stocks going to follow? Is real estate going to follow? You need to know the difference between inflation and deflation. And hey, guess what? Write this number down because the first 15 callers today are going to get Harry's book list for, I think it's twenty seven ninety nine at Barnes & Noble. I'm going to give them away for free today. If you call 888-882-5578, 888 882-5578. The first 15 callers will get a copy of The Demographic Cliff by Harry S. Dent. And uh, so we're going to just get into some topics here uh, with Harry. And um, let's kind of see where he said we were a year ago that no one would believe and where we finally wound up and uh, why he has been able to nail some of this. The only thing he hasn't been able to nail is when stocks will finally collapse from these highs. But he's going to be pretty insistent that we are in a bubble. You're going to hear about it today. Bubbles always look the best right at the end of a bubble. So he'll make that case himself. But the bottom line is, it's not about what's happening today. It's about where we're going to be tomorrow. And uh, that is the story of Harry Dent and what he looks at, along with some of the other authorities we've featured on this show. So without uh, further ado, let's pick up the beginning of the interview, and I'll, I'll talk to you more later about what some of all of this means and put it into perspective. So, Harry, it's been a while since we talked. 
But, you know, there's some very interesting turn of events coming into 2015. You know, I don't think people saw a year ago that you were talking about. A year ago, at the beginning of 2014, who would have thought oil would be sitting at $48 a barrel? Who would have thought? I remember James Rickards was all over the Internet that China is going to destroy the dollar. And the April 2014 plenary of the Chinese government was going to release how much gold they've been hoarding so they could absolutely wipe out the dollar and become the world's reserve currency. And what do we got today? We got the dollar is the strongest currency on the planet. And I want to ask you later if that's good or bad. So uh, and what commodities are, are down the tubes. So, Harry, uh, you, you called this way before it happened. What, what are you seeing that no one else is seeing? What, 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 how did you know this was going to happen? Well, you know, we, we have a 30-year commodity cycle, and I've been warning for years that commodities were making a major long-term peak, just like they did in 1980 and 1949 to 51 and 1920. And they're going to be heading down for years, oil, gold, general commodities, uh, all this sort of stuff. And that, that um, was due to peak between 2008 and um, late 2008 and, and early 2010. And it, and it kind of peaked initially in mid-2008 and then a secondary peak, new highs for some things like ag and uh, copper um, in uh, early 2011. And it's gone down ever since. I mean, just what we expected. We've been projecting 10 to $20 oil ultimately um, for years. We've been predicting gold would hit at least $700 and probably end up closer to 250 to 400 before this commodity cycle bottom. And But there's also this what I call a vicious cycle where commodity prices go down. That hurts emerging countries, their stocks and their best jobs. Um, and, and so they slow down and their purchases from China, who's now the manufacturing giant of the world with all this exports. And, and, and then if China slows down, they stop buying so many commodities to feed their factory machine and it hurts the emerging countries. So we've been telling that story for the last couple of years. While most people have been worrying about, yeah, the collapse of the dollar or, or the euro is going to fall apart. I mean, yeah, that's a, the euro is an obvious thing. I don't see how it can fall uh, over. But nobody, everybody knows that Europe's got problems. We've been saying, no, the real problem is this stealth decline in commodity prices, and it just continues. I mean, I think you're going to see it oil, oil retest the $32 lows from 2008 um, in the next several months, uh, bounce for a year you know, or so, and then come back down and um, probably test that. 10 to 20 areas. So, so this is serious stuff. It's not good for the U.S. that the dollar is going up because it hurts our exporters. But it is a sign, as, as we and, and some other people have been saying, that we're the best house in, the, in, in a bad neighborhood. I mean, yeah, we've been overstimulating. We've been t- taking the easy way out. I mean, and what, what could be easier than just printing money to fill up every downturn and every crisis you have? I mean, and, but everybody expects that to weaken the dollar. So what's well, going well, on? Well, everybody's been doing it more, though, right? Especially right now. There's, there's a clear reason the dollar is going up now. Japan tripled down on their QE starting oh, in early yeah. 2013 and gone off the reservation ever since. And Europe, after taking a break, just like we're taking a break now, Europe stepped back up. As soon as we stopped um, doing QE, they stepped up with a similar-sized program. So now Europe, whoever is printing the most money is going to see their currency trend down. We're not printing. Europe and Japan um, is. Um, so that's what's happening. Their currencies are going down. Ours are going up. Now, that helps their exports. But so, so Japan's really not doing that well regardless. We're strong now because we got to jump on, and I'm not saying the ultimate result of QE is good, but the bottom line is we we inflated our our uh, dollar to whatever extent from qe uh before they did they're doing it now so we're just kind of the you know they're they're at it right now more than we yeah, are and that's they're why at strong. it 
Uh, but but there's another reason. We think the dollar hit 100 today on, on the index of six major trading partners, which is, it seems to be the best overall measure. I think it's going to 120. Uh, I think it's probably going to crack because it's just gone up so much. But the reason is, uh, you know, it's going up now because they're printing more than we are. Well, the reason it goes up in the future is when we have this downturn and a lot of debt gets restructured around the world. I counted up the other day. I don't have exact figures, but something like $68 trillion in dollar-denominated uh, loans, counting our domestic and foreign, which dominate, versus like $46 trillion in euro and $25 trillion in Japan. So, so there's, you know, there's way more U.S. dollar loans out there that are going to be destroyed. And the more you destroy dollars, the more valuable it comes. That's what I can never get the gold bugs to yeah. get. They're talking about, we're printing dollars and we're doing all this stuff. We're going to have this big crisis. And I said, yeah, you dodos. If we have this crisis, like the 1930s, a deflation crisis, we're going to destroy a lot of money. Financial assets in people's portfolios, whether they're bonds or stocks or gold or anything else, that's money. And, and, and loans are, are money that's created. So these loans fail. These financial assets fall and don't come bouncing back to new highs in several years next time, which they won't, money's going to be destroyed. There's going to be more dollars destroyed that actually makes our dollar more valuable. And the reason the dollar went down so much, which was these guys ignore, from 1985 to early 2008, the dollar went down 58% versus those six currencies. It got massive uh, um, debasement. That's because we were creating more dollar-denominated loans than any other. This was in what currency. period? What period, Harry? 1985 to, to, to January 2008. So that was the... Uh uh, the uh, um, fractional reserve system and the shadow banking system that was well, really and, and the those thing is, is a lot of um, foreign um, corporations, especially emerging countries, they take out loans in U.S. dollars. It may be from a U.S. bank, it may be from uh, some other bank, a Swiss bank or something else. But they, there's just more. There was more dollars. Not only were we the largest economy in the world still, but there's more dollar dollar denominated credit credit created. Um, in that period than there was elsewhere. So that's why the dollar went down. We weren't doing QE back then. Nobody was doing QE back then. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to tell you, it's going to be really tough for me to get through all of the content today. But I do like to just make sure some points are clear. I want to talk about, first of all, the dilemma of the dollar and how it hurts and helps. Because here's the difference between where we were at the end of World War II and where we are today. The difference between American manufacturing was that after World War II, there was nobody left standing to do manufacturing. We were the big industry, and we had a strong dollar. So we were selling to the world with a dollar that was worth a lot, and the world paid dearly to get our goods. But it's a different world today. So what happens is the bad news about the strength of the dollar is, yes, we won't have hyperinflation. That's, that's the good news. The bad news is... There's other people that'll sell cheap stuff, cheap manufacturing to the world today. And if our dollar goes too high, we keep killing ourselves on exports. So today is a different world. And the stronger your currency is, the less you can sell manufactured goods. So then what you have to do is you have to turn to innovation. And that's the strength of our country. That is the strength of our economy is that we can innovate, unlike China and unlike many of the other countries. But um, if we want to go back to the days of selling lots of manufactured goods, we don't want a strong dollar. But we want to import from the rest of the world, like oil, If although we're making our own. We'll talk more about oil in a little bit. But we want to import. Strong dollar is tough, and we can't sell to the rest of the world. Now, um, the dollar is up now because the other countries are printing more. But... Ultimately, what you have to be concerned with is what happens when debt 
ruptures. That's the concern. You know, you can have a scare and markets go up and markets go down. It is the point where you look at where debt is accumulating in the world. This is what Harry was talking about, that $68 trillion in debt is denominated in dollars at this point. And his concern is the rupturing and the non-payment of that debt will burn up dollars as opposed to 46 trillion euros, 25 trillion Japan. So if you like a strong dollar, that's going to last for a while because as that money and that debt burns up, there's more dollar debt out there that's going to rupture, which is very, very bad for the people that expect to get paid. It's bad for American business. It causes a great depression, but it's not from hyperinflation. It is from deflation. So listen, Let's help you out on this subject. Let's get you all the basics. First of all, write this number down. We got some free books and reports to give you. 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578 for some free giveaways on this. 888-882-5578. The first 15 callers, we got about uh, three or four have already called over that segment. We'll get Harry Dent's 2799 book, hardcover, called the uh, the demographic cliff, how to survive the great deflation of 2014, survive and prosper in the great deflation of 2014 to 2019. You'll also get a copy of my 50-page report illustrated so a high school sophomore can understand the content called inflation or deflation, question mark, America's monetary system in crisis and how to plan for it. And in that book, I give you a strategy to manage both concerns within a single portfolio because if you bet wrong between inflation and deflation, your bets will be for naught. So you need to understand what are the bets between inflation and deflation and how do you manage both of them with a portfolio. The number for that is 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578. The next, we'll say 12 callers, will still get Harry Dent's book on the great deflation. Okay, um, clip number two. You heard Harry talk about how he predicted the downfall of commodities and gold and the strength of the dollar by looking at cycles. So this is kind of an analyst question I asked in this last little segment, which is, uh, what senior here is it? The cycles cause the events or the events bring about cycles. And it's key if you want to prognosticate or look into the future. Hey, so listen, I want to ask you about cycles for a minute. Um, Cause I think this is important. You, you saw a, a commodity cycle. There's a 30 year commodity cycle. And so we look at the events that are surrounding the current downward cycle, but we look at the events And we go, oh, well, these events have happened now, and who would have known that there's a pulse of 30 years, but but these events are these events. And I'm just kind of curious, this is getting a little bit cerebral or philosophical, but, you know, this, this, what comes first, the cycle or the events? What drives what? Explain to me a little bit how that works, because yes, we have events around the current downward commodity cycle, but if you could have predicted it earlier just because the chart said, for whatever reason, it's going to downturn, the events will unfurl as they must, what do you think is senior here? No, no, no it's, it's more the cycle. I mean, when, when commodities get too high, as they do every 30 years for some reason, then, then innovation steps in to bring down cost. In other words, the cycles defeat themselves. Uh, just, just like in demographics, the richer people get from a 
good demographic and innovation cycle, the more they want to have fewer kids and educate them better. And then, then you end up, the very success of the cycle defeats itself. So everything runs in cycles. I would say the cycles come first. And, and the demographic cycle, if you look at it in the past century, 39 years, major peaks in stocks adjusted for inflation, 1929, 1968, and then recently here in 2007, before they stepped in with QE and just created their own upward market. So every 39 years, and then, but that wasn't just stocks getting overvalued. That's, you know, new generations peak in their spending every 39 to 40 years, uh, typically. So there's something behind the cycle, but any cycle sows the seeds of its own destruction. Everything from two-minute cycles, I can quote you a 900 million year <laughs> climate cycle. I mean, there's, I don't care how, any time frame you look at, there's going to be cycles up and down, cold and hot, boom and bust, and those cycles are going to almost always break into four stages or seasons. I call it spring, summer, winter, and fall for the economy. It's just, it's universal. Cycles are universal. Um, four seasons or stages are universal. Um, and, uh, you know, an equal and opposite reaction, as they say in physics. That's, the, I think, the first law of physics. Everything has an equal and opposite reaction. Well, that's cycles. Yeah. Fascinating. You're listening to Straight Talk Wealth Radio on News Talk 1590 KVTA, where you hear every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. I'm your host, Bruce Whitey. I'm running behind. So I'm just going to tell you we are featuring today our interview uh, opening 2015 here with Harry S. Dent. after the first quarter is done, uh, Harry S. Dent is a New York Times bestselling author and, of the book called The Demographic Cliff, How to Survive the Great Deflation of 2014 to 2019, Survive and Prosper, that is. And uh, that is a $27.99 book at Barnes & Noble, $27.99. I'm slurring my words because I'm in a hurry, but I'm going to give it away for free. We got maybe 10 more, so you better call 888-882-5578, 888 888- 882-5578 is the number for a free copy of Harry's book, 888 I will also include my 50-page report called Inflation or Deflation, America's Monetary System in Crisis and How to Plan for It. And in that, I mean both sides, inflation and deflation. The number is 888 in this next clip, I ask Harry about the good indicators in the economy. Unemployment is down. Looks like employment is picking up. Uh, what does it take to get traction, huh? Okay, so, Harry, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal today, and I'm seeing some great news. First of all, as we know, jobs have just been roaring and coming back, so we're sure that consumption is going to come back in the U.S., and uh, uh, people are working more. They're going to be spending more. Gee, and then today... Wealth gains start to lift more boats, and it says Americans' combined wealth hit the highest level ever at the end of last year thanks to gains in the stock market and home prices that could lend support to consumers and prop up economic growth this year. The net worth of U.S. households and nonprofit organizations climbed by about 2% or $1.5 trillion. So, you know, you've always said employment's the last indicator. That's yep. the last thing. So it looks to me like we're, we're getting out of this thing and we're starting to get traction, aren't we? No, it, it, that's, uh, the problem is they're looking at the wrong ball. What have retail sales done for the last three months? December, January, February, down, down, down. Retail that's winter sales time. Are what no, I call no, one the East Coast can, no one in the East Coast can get to the store. Oh, they, they get in, and what, for three months straight? <laughs> I don't know. I'm being tongue in cheek because I, I know you don't agree, but I'm trying. I'm trying to find the. Uh, I'm trying to find the uh, other side of the story here. 
No, the, the thing I always tell people, Bruce, because I get this all the time, you know, people saying, Harry, why are you so fearless? You know, because sales are up, but the jobs are good. I'm like, you idiot. What do you think the economy looked like in September 1929 before we had the biggest crash in U.S. history? It looked just like that. Everything looks great at the top. How do you think Japan looked in 1989? I was in 1989, my first book, warning people that Japan was going to have the worst decade in its history, and people were looking at me, what do you mean? The Japanese look great. They're doing everything right. They're taking up our industries. Their growth is strong. They don't have high debt. Well, what do they look like today? They were just at the top of their game. So you can't look at a lagging indicator like the employment index and say, oh, we're okay. Of course it's going to look good at the top. Right. And if retail sales aren't heading down, they should reverse strongly, you know, by, by next month, March, to make up for this, you know, three-month decline. I mean, people don't just stop shopping for three months in total. One month, yeah, but three months? But the reason I'm looking at this is demographics is the only leading indicator we have left because the Fed's destroyed normal leading indicators with an artificial economy. Demographics say that Germany is going to, and a lot of countries in Europe are going to get weaker this year, and it says that the, the, the affluent sector, let's call it the top 10, 20%, yeah. the college educated that have been doing so well and that have benefited so much from QE and that peak later in their cycle, they peak by age 53. Homer Simpson, 46. So we hit that in late 2014. So I'm expecting the economy to be weaker than people think as we move in this year. And my, my forecast is that the Fed will never get to raising short-term rates. By the time it hits June or July and they're supposed to start doing it, I think the data is going to likely start coming in weaker. We'll see. Because yeah, you're right, employment, it, it's, it's humming. It's, it's better than it was in 2007. Yeah, I mean, the idea is the idea is either things are already headed in a wrong direction and employee, employment is just a late indicator, or yeah. the other side of it is we got more people working, more people in their jobs, and we got a shot at the consumer coming back. Yeah, and, 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 and especially the younger workers, if jobs are better, they, they could feel better about buying a house because they have been hesitant to buy a house, and that's the most important sector. Housing is the most leveraged by mortgage loans, by all the inputs that go into it. So um, housing has been, you know, even the bullish economists have had to admit that, that this recovery looks okay on everything except housing. Housing has not been as strong. So the biggest factor for this escape velocity argument would be if these millennial younger people in their 20s and early 30s, because those are the prime home buyers between 27 and 31 mm -hmm. really is where the most homes are bought. Then that would be the biggest argument. Yeah, jobs are better. But that's Housing not prices happening. Prices have held up. Mortgage loans are still cheap, so these people are going to start buying. But we'll see. I, so if they start housing, buying, I, I look at lumber prices every day. Guess where they're going? Down. Do you, do you think there's a chance that your some of your predictions might reverse? About uh, I mean, if if we get these younger people and they're starting to work and they get in the housing market, albeit late, uh, might we not see a softening in the housing like you've said is probably going to be coming? Well, I mean, I, it actually, it, it could increase. I mean, one of the difficulties I have is, I mean, I can look back in the past and look at cycles and look at what happens, but when the Fed comes in and takes over the economy and says, well, we're going to set short-term rates at zero, we're going to set, set long-term rates at zero adjusted for inflation or even negative, we're going to step in every time the economy looks weak or any time the stock market takes more than 10% correction. I mean, they've taken over the economy. It, it, the economy's not growing for the reasons it normally It grows because consumers start spending. Businesses see that. They start investing to expand capacity. That creates more jobs and consumers spend more. That, I mean, we had two great leading indicators up to 2008. We don't use them anymore. They're useless. They're coincident. Yeah. They don't lead because we don't have a real economy. So it is, it is harder than ever 
to predict what will happen when the economy is being driven really on the margin solely by the three and a half trillion dollars and in, in money printed and, and really just thrown into the financial system. And the and this is I mean everybody's getting a good deal. Everybody's got a much cheaper mortgage, cheaper car payment, you know, because of this low interest rates. Um, banks and investment banks and hedge funds can borrow money at almost nothing short term and lever up thirty to forty times and just buy low yield bonds on leverage and make money. It's like a free gift. Uh, are we when putting ourselves free, at risk of a future banking crisis? Yes, a hundred percent. Not even ninety-nine. When you make money free for a period of time like this, it will be misinvested, abused, and, and at some point, Bruce, I don't care what the millennials do here in the United States. China has had the greatest overinvestment of any country in history, two to one to anybody the most aggressive. They got so much excess capacity in housing, industrial capacity, infrastructures, they're going to have to have a big crash. And when China falls, I don't care what the Fed does. We're going down. The whole world's going down. They're the only growth engine left. Yeah. Other than our, our 2%. And we're still just averaging 2% real GDP, not 3 to 4. Right. Hey, you're listening to Straight Talk Wealth Radio. We're here every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on News Talk 1590 KVTA. By the way, regarding China, do you know that we produced a three-CD audio from our prior shows called The China Crisis? Oh, I think the subtitle was How the Collapse in China Will Cause a Global Economic Depression. And we interviewed a, a, a very authoritative author, and that James Gorey, who wrote a book of that title. We now have all of our past shows available for you on CD for the last couple years. I want to give you this website. Write it down, straighttalkwealthradio.com. StraightTalkWealth.com is a different site. It has a lot of my blogs and other things on it. But if you want past shows, we have a great new series. You buy four, you get one for free called the War on Wealth series. I want you to go to StraightTalkWealthRadio.com. We're still building the site, but you can order off of it. StraightTalkWealthRadio.com. Dot com, And you can get a copy of the three disc set, The China Crisis, and learn all about what China is made of and why it's going to be uh, in trouble in the future, just like Harry said on this clip. All right, I'd like to talk more, but I got to keep it rolling uh, in this next clip. I discuss with Harry the fact that we have markets that go up on bad news and down on good news. So how do you get on the other side of that? Where is the point we get back to sanity where markets go up on good news and down on bad news and we get back to a real connection between the economy and the stock market? Uh, in the meantime, I've got a few copies of his book left, so call now. They're, we're going to get low here in a little bit. It is The Demographic Cliff, How to Survive and Prosper During the Great Deflation of 2014 to 2019 by Harry S. Dent. And uh, let's see, I pulled a copy out. It does, in fact, list for twenty seven ninety five at Barnes & Noble. You can have it for free. I got some excess copies. 888 And when you get home, do go look at the website, straighttalkwealthradio.com, and order some past shows. I am very, very proud of the material we've produced. Let's get back to talking to Harry. 
Well, l- l- you know, let me pick on that on just another angle here in terms of where I think the the real bubble is, regardless of the other stuff. And you and Rodney wrote about it in the Economy and Markets newsletter, which which any of our listeners have got to get a hold of because uh, this is, comes out daily. You and Rodney are always sort of on the cutting edge of what's going on. And I want to read what Rodney wrote here on, you know the economy's crazy when, that's the name of it. It says, you know the world's gone crazy when the government tries to force feed inflation, consumers are encouraged to borrow, saving is frowned upon, and markets cheer bad news yeah. because it means the Fed is likely to hold interest rates negative for longer. It's completely backwards. As individuals, we should save more, take on less debt, strive for low or even no inflation, and push for the Fed to stop meddling in the markets. Achieving these things would make each of us more financially secure and would preserve the spending power of the funds we're able to save. Now, we had this recent pullback in the market where the Dow dropped 250 points in a day. And that was because of what, Harry? Oh, the unemployment. The employment report was so strong. People oh. going, oh, crap, the Fed's going to start raising eight interest rates before June. Wait, wait a minute. The economy is doing better, and it crashed the markets? Yeah. So that, that's been the <laughs> case many times. I mean, I mean, that's how perverted this is. It's like try, trying to say, I want to feel better, so I'm going to take cocaine every day. Because it does make you feel better. Yeah. So does quantitative easing. It gives everybody a free lunch, especially the most, uh, uh, the, the richest in, 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 in Wall Street. It's just a free lunch. So everybody loves it. Nobody wants it to stop. And it, may, it is it's totally true what Rodney's saying. We're going to be better off down the road if we do the right thing. But you stop taking cocaine, what's going to happen? You are going to be very, very, very sick for, for months or whatever. You're going to detox, or what do they call it. And that's the way. It, the economy's being driven by a financial drug. Free yeah, money. Created out of thin air, thrown in the banks who lever it up. Everybody gets, you know, low cost mortgages. Low, everybody gets something for free here. Well, last time I looked in life, in my, my uh, 60 years, uh, life's kind of taught me there is no free lunch, you know, but that's what we're getting. So this is not good policy. Yeah, Never has been. Just on the very practical, logistical level, you know, you want the market to keep going up. We all want to have a lot of wealth. But if the market goes up on bad news, if the market goes up on the fact that we're borrowing more. How can you ever get back to a condition where the market goes up on good financial news? There's a Rubicon that you go over right. Well, you, you don't until this cycle breaks. You don't until the government fails. And, and, you know, and again, when I have to argue with the gold bugs, they're like saying, we're going to have hyperinflation. I'm like, no, they are fighting deflation. We would have already had a 1930s deep deflationary crisis where debt got destroyed and financial assets got destroyed twice as fast as they got built up in the bubble. And, and, and all they've done is keep us at zero to one percent inflation with massive amounts of money. If they had printed this much money any other time, we would have had hyperinflation. But they're fighting deflation, and what they're really doing is just keeping the patient in um, life support for another day. That's what they're doing. The patient's dead. Now, if we would, if this thing fails and we have a downturn, and I think that's going to happen this year, despite QE around the world. Um, then people are going to start to say, well, this didn't work, and darn, I guess you don't get something for nothing, and this thing's going to fall apart. When it falls apart, the government's going to have to stop doing this, hopefully, and then the economy gets back to normal. The free markets will take back over. They have hijacked the free markets, and so you're never going to get a normal economy. Chapter 2 in the book, The Demographic Cliff, i got a whole chapter on how we're following Japan, us in Western Europe, um, into a coma economy. Japan, for two decades now, has done nonstop QE, and all they've gotten is zero growth, zero inflation, zero pro- Productivity, no innovation, nothing. They're dead. Now they now, well, they're they're flatlining. Yeah, yeah. they would have gone through a deep crisis like the '30s if they hadn't have done this. So they avoided a crisis, but the but the price for that 
is two things, this coma economy, and secondly, you get even bigger bubbles, and then those bubbles eventually have to burst. So I've told the gold bugs, I've warned people, the danger in QE is not that we're going to get hyperinflation, although we might get a little bit of inflation late stage here. It's that the Fed's created an even what bigger bubble in the stock market before. They're creating another bubble in the housing market, especially high-end homes. You go to hot places like downtown Manhattan or, or South Beach in Miami, where I used to live, or San Francisco, they are, they are higher than the last bubble. And in most hot cities in the world, they are. So all these hot cities are so expensive. Singapore just had to totally crack down on speculation and foreign buying by putting a 28% surcharge for any foreign buyer. And then if you sell it within one year or two years and flip it, then you get another 12 or 16% surcharge. It's absolutely wiping out any incentive to buy short-term for speculation. And the real estate market's but, going but down. They're, but they're doing that because the speculation has run amok. Yeah, they're doing it because... because people in Singapore is one of the richest cities in the world. There, there are no rednecks there. There's no rural people. It's all city. It's all professional. It's not even manufacturing. It's high-level you know, global finance and all this sort of stuff. They, they, they make 60000 per capita more than the average U.S. citizen. These are, are wealthy people. They can't afford to buy a house. The, the people revolted and started saying, we can't afford to own a home because of these foreign assholes buying all our real estate. So the government clamped down. And I tell you, it's down 4% in recent months. They're projecting double-digit drops. And, and they're going to be, um, to me, overly optimistic. I, I bet Singapore real estate's down 20 to 40 percent in the next two years minimum. But that's actually being done to defend themselves from foreign uh, foreign. And, and, and like you said, long term, that's good for the people yeah. who live there. How can it possibly be good that real estate is so expensive? That makes your, your companies less uh, competitive. And the households yeah. spend a way higher percentage of, of their income on their mortgage and property taxes. How can that be good? It's only good if it keeps going up and you get paper gains for doing nothing. But nothing goes up forever. So the crash will be good. But, you know, anybody who owns real estate, and I'll tell you one thing, Bruce, the hardest, there's two hard things to talk people out of. High-end real estate that's supposed to be the best in the world, you know, downtown New York, South Beach, whatever, Sydney, Australia, you name it, Vancouver, or gold. You cannot talk people out of gold. I mean, how many times does gold have to fail? And I still get people arguing with me, it's going to $5,000. I'm like, you know, good luck on that one. It's, uh, if you talk them out of uh, gold, you might as well talk them out of their guns. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point. Those are two emotional investments. People aren't that emotional about stocks or commodities or something else or commercial real estate. But boy, my home or my condo in New York or, you know, my gold, it's like my gun. Yeah. Uh, Don't tell me I'm not going to need that gun. Okay. So, look, let's talk about what the problem, the solution and what you can do about it is. And here's the problem. There are two camps today when you are trying to save for retirement or just grow your wealth. I don't believe in retirement necessarily. I believe in work until I'm 80 and getting in the water and down in Port Wyneme and Silver Strand every morning. And that ought to keep me good till I'm 90. But anyway, and then why stop working? Okay, if you can have that much fun, what the heck? But here's the thing. There's a camp that says all we need is traction. It's the Keynesian camp. And the Keynesian camp says when the economy falls off, if the government will just borrow money and spend enough, we'll get to a point eventually where there'll be traction and then we can pay the money back that we borrowed, which never happens. Almost everyone will agree to that. But there's this idea that somehow we could stave that off and we just need to get enough momentum and traction and confidence back in the economy. But there's another camp that says you borrowed so much money and not just that the government borrowed it, that the fraction reserve system of the bank in the private sector has lent too much debt out, that the shadow banking systems where mortgages are sold to pension funds and credit 
default swaps back them up and collateralized debt obligations make more and more mortgages sold 10 times over and other debt around the world gets sold because now debt is a commodity that gets sold and resold that you extrapolate out a debt bubble that becomes so large it looks great as long as debt works but there's a saying that debt works until it doesn't that is the concern about those that say this could be a bubble and a great reckoning will occur. And unfortunately, you as the guy in the middle have to figure out which camp you're a member of. And it's not fair if you don't get yourself educated. But you know what? This is the era of responsibility. And those who are not responsible will pay the cost at some point up the road. So in order to get responsible, the first thing you have to get is knowledge and understand these topics. And I'm making that available for you today in a total giveaway for free. We will give you... Um, I'm almost out, but listen, what I'll do is I'll order more. So uh, those that have already called in for Harry's book, The Demographic Cliff, How to Survive and Prosper During the Great Deflation of 2014 to 2019, I should have enough books to get those right out the door. If more people call, I will place a second order. It might be delayed about a week or so, but I'll, I'll get them in and I'll cover you. But you've got to call now. The number's 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. And I'm telling you, this education will cover these issues. Read Harry's hardcover book for $27.95. I'm giving away for free the demographic cliff when you call today, 888-882-5578. I will include my 50-page report, Inflation or Deflation, America's Monetary System in Crisis and How to Plan for It. When you call, 888-882-5578. And when you get home, go look up our website, our new website at Straight Talk Wealth Radio, straighttalkwealthradio.com and review the shows we have and go order the wealth, the War on Wealth series. It's four, five CDs for the price of four. I don't make money off this thing. We charge just enough to cover manufacturing the CDs and the postage. So go look at this. They're well-priced. A world of information at straighttalkwealthradio.com. Okay, we'll get back into a very long clip at this point. I think the longest of the show. And this is going to be, where is the bubble? I asked Harry, where is the bubble? You know, things go up and they go down. But we the bubble I want to know is the one that busts the banking system. The one where international debt implodes and the whole banking system freezes. That's a bubble. And I don't care about the other vicissitudes. So that's what I nailed Harry on. Let's uh, listen up. Okay, I want to ask you two questions and I'm going to let you go, Harry. Um, so the first question, I just want to get some clarity on. I mean, we've been talking, <clears throat> we've been touching on it here, but... If, in fact, the good news is there's more jobs, there's potential traction, uh, we, we are at the end of uh, the huge QE cycle where the rest of the planet is devaluating its currency, uh, we have a strong dollar. I mean, there's some, some good news in some ways. I mean, for the consumer, oil is cheaper. For the investor, that's bad news. That's going to hurt industry. That could hurt jobs. But, you know, if you're not in the industry and you got a job somewhere else and you can pay less for your gas, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so we have this good side. So just help me zero in. Help me distill for just a moment. If that's the good news, where is, and I've had stockbrokers just hammering me with this question. 
where's the bubble? Where do you see the bubble? I don't see the bubble. So where specifically okay. is, no, is Number one, if you right? don't see the bubble, you're blind as a bat. If you lay the Dow or the S&P 500 over the last bubble, I'm not talking 2002 to 7. That was a mini bubble. The last, the biggest bubble of our lifetimes was late 94 to early 2000, driven by the you know, old tech stock. You lay down the market that, that this is an even bigger bubble than that, slightly. I mean, it stretched slightly longer and slightly higher. Secondly, there are there is bad news in this, and all you need is a trigger to burst the bubble. Four states having subprime foreclosures caused the last entire global crisis because it was just a trigger for economies that were already weakening in demographic and had way too much debt historically. So here's number one bad news. The frackers are dead, deader than a doornail, never to come back again. They're going to pump, pump, pump till their wells roll out. Uh, we're out in the next year or two creating even lower prices, and then they're never going to invest again. That's a million jobs at risk, one of the best, strongest sectors. That's a half a trillion in debt that's going to default, high-leveraged, high-risky debt. And, and then you add in major energy companies that are a big part of our economy. They get impacted by this. Secondly, our exporters, our whole export, you know, 13% of our GDP. We are at a disadvantage now that our currency is rising consistently and everybody else is falling. So, so all just those two things going wrong is enough. To, I mean, I, I don't see how with just those two things that we get 3% GDP growth that everybody's looking for this year. Uh, if GDP growth just goes down to 1%, that's going to be, ooh, we didn't expect that. And earnings are going to go down. Um, so so there's, there's plenty of bad things, but the point is, it doesn't take much bad to happen when you've got an economy so out of balance. If we, we had a balanced economy, and again, I would still say, you look at the top of any major bubble before it bursts, and everything will look just like today. Oh, yeah, yeah, GDP's growing. Yeah, jobs are growing. People are happy. Markets are up, you know? Yeah. But, Harry, let me just separate something. There is the stock bubble. You could look at charts and you could just say it's just gone to such an extreme. Something Wait a minute, but change. Bruce, what hasn't bubbled in the last 10 or 20 years? Commodities have bubbled. Gold has bubbled. Real estate, especially in the yes. highest price. Everything has bubbled. There's, there's never been a, a bubble anywhere near this pervasive. In the roaring 20s, stocks bubbled. Real estate didn't. But, but the place that it gets disastrous is when the banking system breaks. That's yeah. when we have the Great Depression. As Alan so, Greenspan calls me. it, when, when you have toxic a toxic bubble, toxic bubbles are caused by excessive debt. McKinsey just came out with a report globally that showed since the peak of the last crisis in late 2007, we have added $57 trillion to global debt, more than the $55 trillion we added in the bubble before that. So we've got more debt. The demographics, the point of my book, The Demographic Cliff, the summary point is that, hey, Japan went through this demographic cliff a long time ago. Then the U.S. started to in 2008, and those are two most important countries in the world at the time. Everybody else is going to go off, you know, no, no. Europe. But, but hang on, just for our listeners so that they understand the difference, when you talk about $55 trillion increase in debt, I want to, I want to narrow that down for a minute. So that's not necessarily government debt, because that's what everybody's worried about. The dollar's going to break because, oh, the government, the government. This is oh, private yeah. sector. It the has, government debt is the least of the worries. Right. Where did $55 trillion of private sector debt go? Who, who the heck borrowed that, and what did they spend it on? Uh, financial institutions, it's low interest rate, borrow money, everything from margin debt to speculate to secure these asset-backed securities. And, you know, they sell, they raise debt that way. So the derivatives um, market. You get you, And then you've got the consumer debt, which in the United States is, is uh, has gone down from about 14 to 13, I think. And corporate debt's gone up from 11 to 15. And government debt's gone up from 10 to 17, going on 18. So 
overall in, in almost every country, debt is higher, but it's been this time it's been more the corporate debt because of such attractive financing. And corporations aren't borrowing money to expand. They're borrowing money to buy back their own stock to make their earnings per share look better. This is total BS. Key. That's very key. I mean, when people say, well, where, where how did QE inflate the stock market? Yeah, 40% so saying, of the gains in earnings came from stock buybacks. Right. So yes. So and it would not be, those stock buybacks would not be possible or profitable if they were paying 6% interest instead of 4% or 3%. So that's a direct link uh, between quantitative easing and the inflation of the stock market would be this. Tell well, me, let, let tell me give me. you another one. And this corporate fracking bubble. Fracking would not have been so profitable if the cost of high-risk, high-yield bonds had not fallen due to QE from 10% to 55 for these, these jokers. And if the Fed had not pushed oil prices with a recovery, an artificial recovery from $32 back up to 115 Now, as soon as those things, as soon as those wore off, Okay, now they're in trouble. I'm telling you, the frackers are dead. We were told this is a new industry. It's going to make us energy independent, create millions of jobs. Biggest load in history. It was a bubble industry. Without QE, would not have ever happened in the first place. Okay, now you know, that's leading me to another question, and I'm dying to ask you more, a little bit more about fracking, but I just want to go back and clearly paint this link. So you're saying that corporate debt has greatly increased because of the availability of Fed money. So the corporation- and, and this is even more so. In the emerging world has been growing faster. That's been the biggest growth in debts have been government stimulating and running deficits and emerging country corporations borrowing. But it's not going to R&D. It's no. not going to expansion. It's going very largely to just uh, arbitrage by buying back their stocks and then raising their stock prices. And thereby, you have a direct link to uh, zero interest rates from the Fed inflating stock market. Yeah, I would say between lower borrowing cost on average for corporations and this stock buyback, that probably 50 minimum and 60% of the earnings that were created in the last five years in this recovery were artificial, all because of QE. So, so now let me ask you, if fracking fails, um, why will commodity prices, why will oil, why are you saying oil is going to go to 15 a barrel? I mean, if fracking fails, won't that jack oil prices back up? Yeah, and, and thing, remember, with the exception of a few stock bubbles and uh, in, in the oil bubble, they, they, they don't go straight down. What I'm expecting is that production is going to continue up for a while while global demand slows and oil prices are going to go back down to 30-something. Then, you're right, there's going to be no new fracking wells and the old one's going to wear off and that's caused the great excess um, capacity has come from the U.S. It hasn't come from Saudi Arabia or anybody else in the world. It's come mostly from yeah, the U.S. Right. That wears off and then, then the oil bounces back up to 50, 60, 70 bucks. But you know what? These frackers, it's, it's got to be 80 plus before you're going to see any, any substantial new investment. And in fact, most major uh, oil companies can't make it more than about 55 to 60. So you get a bounce, and then, you know, down the road, you get further economic weakness, and it goes down again. So so it's not – I'm not expecting oil to be a 10 to 20 um, anytime soon. I, in fact, I'm expecting the next drop to be brief. I, I think it could be at 32 bucks late by this summer, and then that's a low for a couple of years. Right, because the fracking starts to fail. But on the other side of fracking, what would continue to drive oil prices down if once fracking's gone? Uh, a global financial crisis. <laughs> oh, in other words, the bubble, the whole global bubble. The whole bubble. I mean, when, when I'm telling you, oil. 
tell your people listening to mark my words on this. If China goes down, it's not going to be a soft landing. It's going to go down like an elephant, and the whole world's going to go down with it, especially Asia um, and, and, and you know the most dynamic part of the whole economy. I mean, what do you think that does to South Korea and Japan alone, sitting right next to them, their biggest trading partner? What do you think it does to Australia, who's one of the most successful developed countries? Um, the rest of Europe's a basket case, but a lot of strong countries are going to get hit really hard if China goes down. And China is going down. If they don't go down, I'm quitting my profession in five years. I'm serious. I don't know anything about anything if that China bubble doesn't burst. Hey, stop cheering, people. <laughs> he's not, he's, Terry's not gone yet. <laughs> hey, listen. Yeah, you got to give me five years on that one, because that, that's when our four key cycles are down at the same time between mid-2014 and early 2020. If we don't see a major financial crisis by then, then I'll get off my chair and say, okay, I give up. You know, QE is something for nothing, and it is a wonderful drug, and we should all be on it. All right. Say goodnight to the bad guy. All right, and we must have an audience full of stockbrokers here. No, actually, our sound effects guy is having a little too much fun with Harry here. But it's hot. Um, hey, you're listening to Straight Talk Wealth Radio. I am your host, Bruce Whitey. We're here every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on News Talk 1590 KVTA. Isn't it fun being on the radio? And you know what's even more fun? When I get to give stuff away, and if you call 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578, that's 888-882-5578, you're going to get Harry's hardcover book for $27.95, and I'm going to give it away for free. At this point, we have given away all of them that we have in-house, but I will order more. Obviously, I get these at a little bit of a discount. Um, it says here in the cover sleeve of his book, best-selling author and financial guru. I don't think he likes being called a guru. Harry Dent shows why we're facing a, quote, great deflation after multiple years of desperate stimulus and what to do about it now. He covers in this what businesses should do, that they should get lean and mean now and identify segments that you can clearly dominate and sell off or shut down others. He gets into what investors should be doing. He gets into what families should be doing. And he gets into what governments should be doing to prepare for the next great deflation that he says, if you heard him, if it doesn't happen in the next five years, he's going to quit. And uh, you know what? He's called a lot of things spot on. And the problem is you have a Fed that is not going to regard the fundamentals of the free market, as you heard a couple weeks ago on our David Stockman show, is not going to stop perverting the capital markets. And so we have a battle here between nature and the Fed, between the winter season trying to come on. And the Fed that just keeps turning up the thermostat, thinking the economy can just be changed like a thermostat, and there is no adverse effect of that. So uh, very interesting, but you need to get both sides of this story. You need to find out and understand how it works. And you can have Harry's book, The Demographic Cliff, How to Survive and Prosper During the Great Deflation of 2014 to 2019. I will also throw in my 50-page illustrated report, Inflation or Deflation, America's Monetary System in Crisis and How to Plan for It, when you call 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578. Learn much more about today's topic and the work of Harry S. Dent. 888-882-5578. Last segment, very interesting. I'm asking Harry... What should Joe and Jane 401k be doing about all of this? Fascinating uh, little discussion here. Uh, last question, Harry. So in, in, in light of all of this, what should 
Mr. and Mrs. IRA and 401k. Working America has saved their money. They've worked. They've put it away. They're sitting in some securities portfolio of whatever mix. What should Mr. and Mrs. IRA and 401k be doing at this point in time? You know, take your take your plate, wrap it up, and put it in the freezer. You know, preserve it. That, that's what I say. I mean, I, I can tell people, hey, why don't you have 20% of your assets uh, in an inverse stock ETF so you make some money on this downturn. Uh, you know, you can invest in the U.S. dollar. UUP is an ETF that, that uh, bets on the dollar going up versus other currencies, which has been a good play. Uh, or you can just be in cash. You can just be in safe T-bills or money markets or something very safe, short-term government bonds, and sleep at night and know that every time real estate falls or stocks fall or gold falls or anything else you would have owned in the past, that you're now going to be able to buy that cheaper and make much better returns longer term, that you're going to benefit. The key to deflation is cash and cash flow. The only real estate I would tell people to keep is real estate that that can still generate strong cash flow even if the – property value goes down because that cash flow is going to allow you to pick up more real estate when it's down and, and get great deals from banks that are, that are, you know, swooping up foreclosures. But in general, the secret to deflation is you go to cash like, like Joseph Kennedy did in late 29 when his shoeshine boy was telling him what stock to buy, and then you turn around and buy things at 80-90% off when they crash. That's the way to make money. Not saying, oh, I'm only making 1% on my this and that bond. I think I better go for this 3% one. That's the way to get slaughtered. Yeah. You know, you, you had uh, chided me at some point when we had dinner together and said, uh, uh, your job is not to make people money at this stage. Your job is to keep them from losing money. Yeah, keep them from losing. Have them preserve it. Freeze it right where it is. We're at the top or near the top, and I never know exactly when the darn thing's going to burst. Nobody does. Yeah. But it's, it's sure looking very bubbly. Me, You just freeze it right here. Man, we've had the greatest bubble in history for decades now. I'm going to freeze my gains and make sure I can't lose them. And the best way to do that is to be in something very safe in U.S. dollars. If you're even in something very safe in Swiss francs or, or euros or, or Japanese yen, you can lose money. Yeah. Because the currency would go down. You know, I haven't, I haven't asked you about this specifically before, but um, a lot of what we do here with, you know, we, we consider that there are investors and there's savers. And uh, investors uh, play their money and uh, they take risks and they know they think are taking risks and they take risk with money they can afford to lose if, if that's what happens. And they're trying to get higher gains. And then savers are just trying to make what they have last. Yeah. They're, they're not as, they're much more risk averse. And we do a lot with the insurance companies on, on annuities just because, and this is a theme where some people are like, I don't get, I'm reading Harry, but I don't see Harry talking about annuities, although you did in one of your books. But the point is that the annuities generate cash flow. They just generate a guaranteed cash flow. Even if their account goes to zero, the insurance company is still paying them a check. So, uh, where does that sit for, for mom-and-pop America? I'm not asking you to endorse annuities per se, but the concept of an insurance company that didn't bust in the Great Depression, where they put their money, the fact that they're getting cash flow, is that someone in conformity with what you think people should be doing? Yeah, yeah. There's a, a lot of financial advisors that follow me are doing these uh in index annuities, yeah. where where you can protect the downside, you, you take part of your capital to protect your downside, and the rest you generate an income that's not quite as high as you've got if you just gone right up. But but you're covered for um, you know the downside, and and you get a steady flow of capital, and, and it's you know as long as the insurance company's not doing something reckless with the money, as long as they're sound. And and uh, right. the one thing I, I remember somebody told me a long time ago, back in the 1930s, the whole financial industry got killed just like it will today. But guess what? One sector did fine: insurance companies because they're regular. And they largely invest in bonds, and bonds are the only broad asset class, high-quality bonds, that do well in the winter season. 
Nothing else does. I mean, commodities did great in the 70s. Real estate did great. Emerging countries did great. Japan was in a great cycle. But, every, you know, bonds and stocks did terrible. But in this, in the winter cycle, nothing does good except for high-quality bonds and, and the best currency like the U.S. dollar. That's it. That's all you have to choose from. Yeah. So if you can get fixed income and have your capital protected, yes, because if you try to get 2 to 3% dividends from stocks, you're going to get crucified. If you try to buy uh, junk bonds at 5 6 7% yield, you're going to get crucified. Right. Okay, hey, listen, it's been great uh, spend some time with you. I appreciate your insight, and um, we, uh, we're going to give away a copy of the Demographic Cliff to all the callers today, and uh, we want to encourage everybody to uh, get uh, economy and markets. Tell us really quick, what, what is the what, – what are the – Dent Publishing these days. You went or no? You went from HS Dent and to Dent Research. Dent Research. So, so what are the main uh, ways people can subscribe? The the, the 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 intellectual properties that you have that people can subscribe to. Well, you know, we've always had newsletters and higher end and special reports and stuff. But what this marketing partner we work with, we have a free newsletter. It's a daily newsletter. Like you say, my partner Rodney, myself, our technical analyst Adam Odell. I write two to three articles a week. Rodney writes two or something. You know, and we just let you get to know us. We every day we're going to have one topic we're going to talk about yeah why why germany has the worst demographics of any country just when everybody thinks germany can do no wrong you know hey that's what they said about the japanese in 89 we're saying you know it'll be an article like that one simple concept one graph but people can do this over time and get to know us without any risk and then when you say well darn i think i gotta listen to these guys more and get their their monthly newsletters and stuff well then then you can sign up yeah Hey, great. Well, we're going to... You know, all you do is go to harrydent.com. That's simple. Oh, yeah. It's just harrydent.com right now. Yeah. Just put in your email and boom, you're on. I hope you, have you don't a, have to give any other information, disclose, you know, the, you know, anything. I hope you have a really big life insurance policy. You need to be around for a while. <laughs> God knows what's going to happen to that URL if you're gone, Harry. Okay. Hey, listen, I appreciate your time, man. Have a great afternoon. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, heads up, when you call 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578, and you, on top of the gifts today of Harry Dent's book, The Demographic Cliff, which we're giving away for free, on top of my report, Inflation, Deflation, America's Monetary System in Crisis, how to plan for it, if you want to have an individualized strategic plan made for you as the tail end of what we were talking about here, ask for a retirement roadmap. We'll include that. Include that. That's a thousand dollar service. We'll do it for free if you call in the next 10 minutes. 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. Go to straighttalkwealthradio.com and get more of our shows on CD. Content of Straight Talk Wealth Radio is for educational purposes only. Any discussion on financial products and their features is subject to change without notice. Consult your own tax, legal, or financial advisor as to your specific situation. Tax-free benefit specialists and insurance services. California license 0E48147.